Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Good to see all of you guys. I see you slowly migrating back to your normal seats that you sat in. You know, you shifted it up for a while, but you know, habits prevail. Um, but welcome, glad you're here. A special welcome to a little more than one half of my family, my wife, Georgia, and my uh, daughter, Sarah, and my two sons, Riley and Noah. Welcome to you. I know you're watching from Rochester right now, and I'm glad that you're here with me. I know you're praying, and uh, it's glad to, glad, just glad to be in the house of the Lord here tonight. Um, last week, I, 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 I put a big emphasis on our Wednesday night prayer meeting, and I want to do it again. We had nine people last week. We had 12 people this week you know, which I'm glad for, I'm thankful for. But I remember when, when we were kids, we would want to get a neighborhood football game going. And, you know, you needed an even number and you needed a certain number. And there were times that we would get whoever we could. We got the kid with uneven legs. Sometimes we'd get his kid's sister. We, would, we just needed bodies on the field. And it's the same thing for prayer. Please, please. I am praying and I'm asking, I'm hoping that that hour, six to, it's not even an hour, it's usually six to 6.35 Wednesday night becomes the most well-attended uh, meeting of our church. There has never been a more critical time uh, or need for that. And so please, I'm, I'm asking you to come out to that. You know, you don't, ha- you don't feel, have to feel pressure like you're going to have to pray, but if the Spirit falls on you and you do, good, you know. Um, but please, if you can make it out to that time, so critical, so important, can't say it enough. Also, next Thursday night, it wasn't in the announcements, but we'll have our, our uh, once a month prayer for the nation that will also be in that room uh, right there, 7 p.m., from 7 to 8 p.m., prayer for the nation. It's major things going on. So please, please pray, pray, pray. It's more important than anything else right now that you can be doing. If you have your Bible, you can open it for our study tonight to Luke chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 6 for our study. Uh, If you need a Bible, you can get the attention of one of the ushers. They'll pass it off to you. You can find it on your mobile device, Luke 21. This is our fourth installment in our series we've called Wave Cutters. I told you last week that this would be the fourth and final, but God overruled me. He gave me something else. So we're going to go one more week with this. Next week, uh, Lord willing, um, I'll add that in, you know, it will be our last one. But tonight, we're going to have a good one. It's called The Coming Tsunami. Very important uh, uh, thing going on um, in that. So we're Luke 21. And I just want to preface the message this way. Um, Probably the only time in my life that I was really humbled by water was on the Jersey Shore probably about seven, eight years ago, and they had those red flags, which means like riptides, and I was like the arrogant, I was on the swim team guy, who's like, yeah, okay, that's for like the little kids, and I was humbled by the riptide. I mean, I've never been scared in the water. I was scared. I've never been so exhausted trying to get back into shore. You know, it was, it was overwhelming, and, and like literally being thrown over like mouthfuls of sand and buried in it and the whole thing. And, and I just want to give you a warning tonight that as we go through the things that are here in the Bible and we realize that the red flags are up in our nation, in our world, in our generation right now, you may feel a little bit like you got rolled over by a tsunami tonight as we go through these things, Um, but I want you to take comfort in this ahead of time, is that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if you're tempted at any point in this message to say, I'm not going to sleep tonight if I stay here for one more minute, I've got to leave, please don't. Because at the end, we'll bring it home, wrap it up tightly and and neatly, and and, uh, you'll go home feeling nice and comfortable, but hopefully stirred up. Amen? All right, so Luke 21 We are going to begin in verse 25 for our text. I'm going to read down through verse 28, and I'm going to skip over to verse 34 and read down through 36. Uh, Let's read it together. It says in Matthew 25, it was prefaced by a question. The disciples asked Jesus, they said, what will be the sign of your second coming? And his answer in part here is that there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars And upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, 
the sea and the waves roaring. So Jesus told you straight up. And this isn't my fault tonight. He told you there's going to be waves uh, in, in the last days going on roaring. He says, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after, looking into those things which are coming on the earth for, he says, or because he attaches it to this, the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Now, the idea behind that phrase, the power of the heavens will be shaken, is not that heaven, the place where God lives, is going to be. It's not, that's not the whole idea. The, the heavens is the invisible realm. That's what he's talking about. And essentially what he means is that the invisible systems that allow for stability and predictability in everyday life will be shaken. Or to put it another way, the spiritual forces behind a stable status quo will be shaken. The status quo is going to be shaken up. Okay, so there are, there are unwritten rules that we kind of depend upon every day. Like, for instance, blood is thicker than water, right? That your family is always going to have your back. And that's kind of like a given. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in a law book. It's just, it's just the status quo. It's going to be shaken. That's not going to be true anymore. He's saying things like uh, legal standards of what's right and what's wrong that you just depended on, that people are kind of kind of do the right thing and put the customer first. That's going away. It's going to be shaken. Those powers aren't going to exist anymore. Right and wrong, the unwritten rule of what's right and what's wrong, it's going to be shaken. The things that were stable that you depended on, even though they weren't really written anywhere, those things aren't going to be stable anymore. It's all going to be shaken up. The powers of the heaven will be shaken. And then it says they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now, verse 34, here's the takeaway. Here's the application. Here's what Jesus says to us concerning these times. He says, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged or kind of they're, they're, they're too charged up, they're too distracted, they're too hardened with surfighting and drunkenness. That just means busyness and clutter and brain cloud because your life is so busy that you can't look at things that really matter. And the cares of this life so that the result of that will be that that day comes upon you unawares. In other words, it's possible for even people that know what's coming, for them to be so busy or their lives to be so cluttered that they are taken off guard. They, they, see the, they know there's a red flag, but they take it for granted, and thus they're overthrown. For, and here's why, verse 35. Anytime you see the word for, it's a reason word. Here's why, verse 35. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. For as a snare will it come upon all those that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Pay attention to that because we'll come back to it. Watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Um, we'll stop right there uh, for our reading and the whole thing. But let's just pray and ask God to, to give us ears to hear what he wants to say to us tonight. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear what you want to say. Help us to know what we're to do. Help us to have clear vision for our lives, for our world, for our nation. Help us to know how we're to respond to this. And I pray that our heart would be softened right now and in a condition to receive, Lord, what we need to receive from you through your word tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible that you hold in your hand or that I hold in mine is a book of prophecy. And that is what sets the Bible apart from every other holy book or every other piece of literature in the world in that it has the ability to, with 100% accuracy, 
predict ahead of time what is going to happen, not obscurely, but specifically. And the Bible does that over and over and over again. It always has, and no one's ever been able to refute the fulfillment of what God says is going to happen. He says that's how you'll know that this book is supernatural and that it's from, from me, because what I say ahead of time will come to pass, and then you'll know. Now, the Bible talks about prophetically a period of time that is coming upon this earth. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. It's prophesied in the New Testament. And it was prophesied by Jesus himself, a period of time that is known as the tribulation. It has many names as you look at it throughout the Bible, throughout the Old and New Testament. Sometimes it's called the indignation. Other times it's called Jacob's trouble because Israel will be very affected by it. Other times it's called the day of the Lord. Not a single day, but a period of time known as the day of the Lord. Jesus called it great tribulation or the period of great tribulation. In another place, Jesus called it the affliction. And so it goes by many names. But what is this period of time that the Bible prophesies is coming upon the world in the last days? It is a seven-year period of time, which is a combination, or what takes place in it is a combination of God's wrath and Satan's goal. It's a combination of the two things. It's really God's wrath that's enabled or kind of fueled by Satan's full release, and then God just throws some steroids in it and makes it worse. It's just a really, really, really ugly time on planet Earth when God judges sin, okay? Now, Satan, during that period of time, as he is released in full force upon the world, and he has not yet been released in full force upon the world, and it might be comforting for some of you to realize that he doesn't have the free will to do that. He has to be released by God, but he'll be released in full force, and he will, in that time, unify the world under the authority of one man and one system, and he will systematically have control over everything on the planet, and at the same time, God will be releasing wave upon wave of divine wrath from heaven, and things will systematically be destroyed on the earth over that seven-year period of time. Now, I know this is not the loving, gentle, meek, and mild Jesus that you're used to hearing about, and there probably aren't too many songs on the radio that you'll hear about this. There's not a whole lot of messages you'll hear about it because it's not you know, usually the most comforting uh, and reassuring thing, but you've got to realize that God has more than one side. He is a loving God. He is a good father. He's redemptive. He's merciful. He's generous, but he also has an element of his person is that he is a God of wrath. And the Bible is very clear that there will be a day that will come when God will pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting and sinful world. Now, God's wrath is fierce. God's wrath is awesome. But God's wrath is complete based on justice, and it is meted out or given out with a full knowledge of all the facts. In other words, he doesn't just lose his temper and react like we do when we fly off the handle. It's not like that. He knows it's very calculated. It's exactly uh, sure. He knows what he's doing. And that day is coming, this period of time called the tribulation. Now, before or when that tribulation happens, there are two major paradigm shifts that have to happen that will change the world from what it is right now to what it will be then. Number one is that the world will be unified under one government or one authority. That will be part of the, 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 uh, the, the, the thing <laughs> that will happen in that time. Okay. The other thing is that there will be one world currency, is that the currencies of the world will be united into a common system. There will be an economic common system. Now, the Bible has said this all along. And preachers have been preaching this all along. And the collective response or the most common response of Christians is, well, we're a long way off from that. 
That's going to happen sometime way in the future. That's not something that's going to happen soon. There's a whole process that's got to happen. So we're not there yet. That's been the thing. But I want you to remember what Jesus said in the text that we read. He said, as a snare, it will come upon all them that dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Okay, a snare is something that is a long time in planning. It's a trap. And then it is quickly set when all things are ready. It's a slow clandestine preparation in the shadows. And when the trap is set and the bait is set, then the trap goes off and it happens very quickly. And that's what Jesus said it would be like. He said, as a snare, it should come upon all them that dwell upon the face of the earth. I'm going to pause my speaking right now, and I want to play for you a few short video clips that have been all put together. And I want you to kind of just see for yourself and hear for yourself the things that are going on right now that are not being broadcast on the nightly news because there's other less important things being broadcast on the nightly news. But just listen to some of this. Go ahead and play it. Well, thank you so much. And of course, it's the headquarters of the World Economic Forum, which is celebrating 50 years as its founder. What does that mean to you personally? It doesn't mean uh, celebrating uh, 50 years of Davos or of our existence. For me, it means to celebrate 50 years of the stakeholder concept of stakeholder capitalism because I wrote the book in 1970 and um, uh, conceptualized probably for the first time what we call today stakeholder capitalism and I wanted to create a place where stakeholders could meet and that was the original idea of Davos so I'm very pleased and happy that uh, we are not only celebrating 50 years, but we are celebrating now, finally, that um, stakeholder capitalism has become or is becoming mainstream. The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion, and equality. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system for the need for the post-corona era. The Great Reset is a welcome recognition that this human tragedy must be a wake-up call. As you rightly say, it is imperative that we reimagine, rebuild, redesign, reinvigorate and rebalance our world. But these are unprecedented times. Every person on the planet has been impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. Our world came to a standstill and it became clear that we did not have the uh, answer or the mechanisms to address such an unprecedented global threat. The threats posed by this um, dreadful pandemic came upon us suddenly with very little warning. The threat of climate change has been more gradual, but uh, it's devastating reality for many people and their livelihoods around the world, and its ever greater potential to disrupt surpasses even that of COVID-19. We have a golden opportunity to seize something good from this crisis. Its unprecedented shockwaves may well make people more receptive to big visions of change and global crises like pandemics and climate change know no borders and highlight just how interdependent we are as one people sharing one planet. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to, an, to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract, particularly integrating the next generation. We can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. 
In short, we need a great reset. Well, thank you so much. And of course, it's pause it there for a moment. That's Klaus Schwab. He is the founder and president of the World Economic Forum, which is in a strategic partnership with the United Nations. And he mentions two things there that I want to comment on. Number one is he calls it stakeholder capitalism. And that is the biggest smoke and mirrors thing that you've ever heard of in your life. But the reason I bring it up is because that is basically the, the heading or the title of the system that they would like to create or institute, okay? Now, the means of doing that is in the second part where they talk about the great reset. And that, that's a term that you're gonna hear a lot now, the great reset, all right? Now, I pulled this right off of the World Economic Forum website. This image should come up on the screen right there, right now. You probably have trouble seeing it, but I'm gonna read you some of the things on it. You can go to the World Economic Forum website and you can find this. Their whole thing is all about this great reset. But basically, this is the fundamental blueprint for what they want things to look like moving forward for the coming generation. And what it is centered upon is blockchain. You see that right in the middle. And blockchain is just kind of an overarching big word. Block is basically blocks of information and chain is what ties it all together. And really it's an integration of everything that exists all into a digital space or a digital format. Now, some of the things that are connected to the blockchain that you'll see on here, some of the subheadings are governance and law, identity and personal persona, not personal, persona management, economic and social structures, environmental sustainability, all kinds of things. But I want you to listen to the things that they that that that'll be a part of the great reset. Internet governance, that means no longer is the internet free and you don't have uh, freedom to put, post, and say what you want on it. Global governance, that's a one world government. Public finance and social protection, that's the opposite of private finance. <laughs> you know, the idea. You can go around, you can look at this, but in there also you'll see what he's calling the fourth industrial revolution. Now play the second clip that's on the fourth industrial revolution. Let me just say some words about um the fourth industrial revolution and, um, and uh, globalization 4.0. I wrote a book and conceptualized the idea. I was probably the first who used this, um, uh, no, uh, this um, name or this uh, definition, fourth industrial revolution, as um, being a transforming concept not only for businesses, but also for um, the economy, for politics, and for society. And of course, many people ask me, why do you speak about the fourth industrial revolution? Um, and um, it's very easy to explain. Uh, of course, the first industrial revolution we are all familiar with. Um, uh, it was the... Uh, invention of the, of the steam engine, which actually helped to enlarge our physical power. And then we had the second um, industrial revolution, which mainly happened here in this country, very much also here in this region, which allowed mass production. And then we had the third industrial revolution with the starting of the computer age uh, and the digital um, era. And now, the fourth industrial revolution is not just a prolongation of this digitalization, it's much more. Um, it's a combination of technologies. It's not just the digital technology, just think of genetics, think of brain research and so on. And the power of the fourth industrial revolution comes from the combination of all those technologies. Actually, I was uh, saying um, it's at the end what, what the fourth industrial revolution will lead to is a fusion of our physical, our digital, and our biological identities. Pause it for a second. Can you pause it? The fusion of our physical, digital and biological identities. Do you understand what, what it's saying? It's basically saying that they wanna connect your brain 
to blockchain, to the system, so that you are actually a part of the entire thing. Play it. Is that possible? The system that we were designed in version one um, is capable of on the order of 10,000 electrodes. So each, each chip, which is four by four millimeters, is capable of, of a, a thousand um, electrodes, or has a thousand electrodes. Um, and we think doing up to 10 is feasible. So this is in contrast to um, the, the best FDA approved system, which is like a, a Parkinson's deep brain simulation thing, which would have on the order of, of 10 electrodes. So um, the system, even in version one, that we're uh, going to unveil today is capable of, of a thousand times more uh, electrodes than the, uh, the the best system out there, and they're all read and write. So this is this is really quite. I think, I mean, for something to be a thousand times more than what is publicly approved is quite a big difference. Um, and and this will this will get better with uh, subsequent um, yes subsequent uh, versions. So just to give you a sense of scale, this is how tiny the threads are. Uh, that is not even a big finger, that is a small finger. Um, so the, there's a, these threads are just like, like I said, way smaller than a hair, um, and there's a thousand of them. And this is what, what the robot looks like. Um, it's, it's sort of a, quite, quite a complex device, but it, uh, it, it all comes down to a very tiny, tiny point. Um, so just, just, we want to just like, you see the robot, the robot on the left, and, um, and then the, um, what looks like the needles for insertion next to a penny, but in fact, the, the, the actual needle that gets inserted is way, way tinier it's that little tiny thing at the, where the arrow is pointing. That's actually the size of the, the needle. It's about 24 microns in diameter. Extremely, extremely small. Uh, it, it's so small you can't really even see it with, in the picture with the penny. Um, I guess it's, it's, like, it's always difficult to say, this is gonna be a, there's, there's a lot more in this presentation. So in terms of things that I think are important to, to bear in mind, this um, I think has a very good purpose uh, which is to cure important diseases um, and ultimately to help secure humanity's uh, future as a civilization relative to AI. Uh, the threads are very tiny um, and there's a lot of them and they're very carefully placed and um, the, the, the operation on a per-chip basis uh, it, it involves just a, 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 two, mil, a two millimeter uh, incision, which is dilated to eight millimeters, um, and then the, the, the chip is placed, placed through that, and then it, re uh, it goes back to being two millimeters, and you can basically glue it shut. Uh, you don't even need a stitch. So, and, and then the, the interface to the, um, to, the, to the chip is, is wireless. So you have no wires poking out of your head. Very, very important. Um, so you, uh, it, it's, it's basically Bluetooth to your phone. Okay. It's crazy, all right? <laughs> now, uh, obviously, you don't have to be a very good speaker to, to, <laughs> you know, to be on the front lines of these things, you know. But for those of you that might not know, that's Elon Musk. That's a name that you ha probably have heard. You probably will hear, you know, a lot more. But they're talking about inserting, uh, you know, threads and probes into your brain that, that connect your brain to Bluetooth, which could then connect to your phone and to really the Internet of Things. And as you dig a little bit more, you find out uh, behind this, you'll be able to control the smart devices in your home with your thoughts. You can think, turn the fan on, and the fan will turn on. You can read, you can, un you can hear, you can know other people's. I mean, it's insane where this is going. It's also uh, related to public health, you know, the kind of thing where, you know, you, you don't need a blood test anymore. You just wave a wand. The thing that's already in you can tell you what's going on in your body and your blood. It's insane. It's crazy. You know, and the reason I play the video is because if I just told you that, you would just laugh at me for the rest of the night and say he's wearing tinfoil hat when he sleeps, you know, which I do not do, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's crazy to look at what's going on. And when you read what Jesus said about how as a snare, meaning that all of the, the systems are ready and in place at the time that they're needed, 
Now, going back to the Bible, what does the Bible say is going to be kind of what happens when this whole tribulation thing, when all this happens? By the way, we're going to talk about the mark of the beast, you know, what it says in Revelation about how in that final system, you will have to receive that chip in your right hand or in your forehead, you know, and we see it right in front of us. But I want to just share with you, turn to Revelation chapter 6, and I want to share with you what is going to happen when that tribulation time actually does come, what is it going to look like? What are, what's going to be the events that shape up and, and make up what happens on the earth when that happens? Revelation chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. It says, then when I saw when the lamb, that's Jesus, opened one of the seals or broke one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. Now, understand that a seal serves two purposes. In the context of what we're looking at here, the seal was on a scroll that was keeping the information hidden from the eye. It was a seal that was sealing the, the rolled up information. But a seal, biblically, is something that keeps or separates that which is on one side of a thing from that which is on the other side of a thing. If you have a sealed bottle, then the contents of the bottle are separate from the exterior or however that might go, there's a seal, but the seal will one day be broken. And so the first seal is broken and it says that I saw and behold a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now, this represents two things. Spiritually, it represents the full force of evil and wickedness that God is going to allow out of what it is currently sealed behind, and it will now be present in the world. It's a, a wicked spiritual force like the world has never known. It will also be manifested in a man, the man who's on the white horse, the one world ruler who will be empowered by Satan to go forth conquering and to conquer. So the first thing that will happen is that there will be a wave of evil that will just overtake the planet. Now that will quickly be followed by verse 3. It says that when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And it says there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And so shortly following, this is now the tribulation period, shortly following the wave of evil that comes, there will be a supernatural lifting away of peace that right now causes restraint in conflict. So after this happens... Every division amongst people will be intensified to the point that it goes to murder. Now, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you are angry with someone, then you have murdered them in your heart. So Jesus was teaching that the end of anger, anger at its furthest possible expression, is murder. That's where it goes. So if all restraint is taken away, then every time there is anger or conflict, it will end in murder. That's what it's saying right here, which means that every division, the blue versus black division, it's going to end in mass murder. Republican versus Democrat dis discussions are going to end with someone in a body bag. Domestic disputes in your house between spouses or with kids, it's going to go to the point where there's death involved. Things that happen at work with between two employees. You know, it's going to just be to the point that there is no restraint whatsoever and there's just going to be death on a massive scale because of the peace being removed. Then it goes on from there, verse 5. And it says, And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny, but see that you hurt not the oil and the wine. And so this is where the economic system will finally break down, where there is hyperinflation to a level that the world has never known, where you will work, when it says a penny, it's not talking about one cent. A penny in the Bible is a day's wage. So you will work an entire day in order to put bread on your table that day, a loaf of bread. 
that's inflation. How much money do you make in a day when you divide it all out, right? And that's how much you'll pay for a loaf of bread. It's a crazy thing to think about. You look at what's going on today with all of the money being pumped into worldwide economies. The whole purpose of that is inflating. It's inflating. It's inflating. And you're going to have this hyperinflation. At some point, it's going to break down, and it's all going to catch up. You think you thought it was bad, right, when you couldn't get toilet paper. <laughs> well, the day is coming when you're not going to be able to get anything. You're going to try to get something. It's going to be bad. Hopefully not you. Okay, uh, next, verse 7. It says, And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was death, and hell fouled with him, and power was given unto them over, watch this, the fourth part of the earth, one quarter of the earth's population to kill with sword and hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Okay, so this is one thing that happens and one quarter of the earth's population dies because of it. Now, I just want to put that in perspective for just a minute, okay? Because right now, people are scared to death of dying from something that has killed 0.01% of the world. 612,000 people as of yesterday have died from this virus that's out there. And I'm not making light of that. Those are lives I, I understand. And, 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 and I'm not saying that's not a big deal. It's a big deal. But we have 7.8 billion people on the planet. That's 0.01% of that number, okay? This is saying one quarter, 25% of the world's population is going to die as a result of just this one thing that happens. That's almost 2 billion people. And just one thing, just one thing. Well, it goes on. Verse 9, it says, when he opened the fifth seal, actually, no, we're skipping verse 9. We're going to verse 12. In verse 12, it says, then I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth and, uh, of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the whole idea is that there's some kind of weather event, some kind of an earthquake that fills the atmosphere with such a cloud that you can't see the sun or the stars. And just think about the implications of that. I mean, think about what kind of dust does there have to be that's so thick that you can't see the light of the sun coming through it. That's amazing. And if you're wearing a mask because now you don't want to see, you know, what happened? What kind of mask do you have to wear when there's that going on? I mean, you, just, you could just imagine it. Can you drive a car? Can you go outside without having a film on things? What is the reaction? What is the response to that? But that's something that's going to happen right there. Then in verse 15, watch this. It says that the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? Which means that things are going to be so supernaturally bad that even the talking heads on TV, the expert doctors, the chief politicians, the kings of the earth, the movers and shakers, the bankers, the power brokers of the world, even Klaus Schwab himself, that they are going to say, there's no explanation for this. China didn't make it. This is the wrath of God. God is doing something uh, in, in this whole thing. Now, out of all of this chaos, this is one chapter, right? This is just the beginning, all right? Out of this chaos, that is where the leader will arise that has the solutions. A world ruler who's given authority over all the earth, and he will capitalize on the systems that have been set like a snare, and he will then institute all of the policies that right now half the world would say, no, I ain't going that way. But after all this, they'll say, okay, <laughs> sign me up. What do I got to do? I'm in. It tells us in Revelation chapter 13, beginning in verse 16, it says that he, and this is speaking of the, the one ruler that's to come, it says that he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
In other words, what you're seeing being developed right now and even being tested, that is going to become a mandatory thing in order for you to be a global citizen and able to interact in commerce or economy or in whatever else is necessary for life. That will be a requirement for you. Now, when you or if you are here, and I pray that none of us are for that time, if you are here and you take that mark and you say, okay, do it, I'm in, you are pledging allegiance to Satan and you are altering your person in such a way that you are no longer redeemable. You cannot be saved. It says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, listen. It says that the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. If you take that mark, you cannot at that point be saved. It's a crazy thing. So, okay, bringing it back to hope now, that's why you came to church tonight, right? What does that mean? What does all of this mean? The things that we're seeing, the things going on, the things that are happening, the snare that's being set. What does it mean for us now? A couple of things and then we're done. Number one is this, is that the gospel has never been more the gospel than it is right now. What does the word gospel mean? Someone shout it out. The good news, okay? The good news has never been the good news like it is right now in the world. I think for a long time in the United States of America, when people heard the word gospel, they kind of rolled their eyes a little bit. They're like, oh, that's that religious word that means good news, like happy hands, you know, kind of a thing. Because really, in this country, for a long time, we've had it really, really, really good. It's right now, when things are shifting a little bit, that we begin to realize how good we've actually had it. But when we get a future glimpse of the things that are to come... And we realize that we'll look back on these days now and say, man, I wish for those days when I just had to wear a mask in the store. But then you realize the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he went underneath all of this and he didn't present a political solution or even make a way wherein we could operate in a normal functioning society but he died for the sin of mankind so that we could be forgiven, changed on the inside, and become citizens in his heaven, which is eternal, where no man will ever die. That's good news. Because when you realize where this world is and where this world is going, it doesn't offer much hope, but the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And so the gospel has never been more the gospel than it is right now. That Jesus Christ loved you so much that he spilled out his perfect, innocent, divine, holy blood for the forgiveness of the sins that we committed against him and against each other. And he now offers to us that if we would receive that gift, our sins could be put away and we could be sealed and our names written in his book and that we could be those that might be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man instead. It's the gospel. And the gospel has never been as good of news as it is right now. Jesus said this. He said, let not your heart be troubled. He spoke that to future generations. He spoke that to the final generation, which means that if our hope and our faith is placed in Christ, then even as we see the things that are coming upon the world coming to pass, that we can have such a security in him that there can be peace internally in us in spite of what's going on around us because we are kept by a greater force of him that is in us than him that is in the world. That's why I'm so glad Caleb sang that song tonight. And no, Vinny requested it, not me. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. And that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That power is present in us. And that's why Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. As long, listen carefully to me, as long as the church is present on the earth, 
The seal that starts the tribulation cannot be broken because that seal represents the overcoming power of Satan upon a Christ-rejecting world, and it cannot happen while the church is present. The gospel has never been more the gospel. What else does this mean for us today? It means also that the great restraint that's keeping the snare from setting is the presence of the church in the world right now. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul said this, chapter 2, verse 3. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, that is the Antichrist, the one world rule, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That's what he will do. Paul says, remember, don't you, that when I was with you, I told you these things. And now, listen, church, and now you know what restrains. You know what is holding back that evil from unleashing upon the earth, that he, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of Satan's plan and desire to control all of men is already at work. Only he who now restrains, letteth means restrains, he that now restrains evil will restrain until he is taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Before the tribulation period can come on earth, the church of Jesus Christ must be taken out. That is an event that the Bible calls the rapture when God calls his people home. Now, this is where I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in your hope. Not really, but sort of. Is that really the right answer right now? I mean, there's something in all of us that wants to go, right? I mean, like, we could, you, could be, you could go to work tomorrow or you could go to heaven tonight. Which do you choose? You know, not by death, but by rapture. You know, he blows the horn and we get pulled out of here and, and, and we watch the earth blow up from the balcony. You know what I mean? Like, the, the rapture sounds really good, but I, I question, is that really... For us right now, is that really the answer? Is that really what is best? Is that really what we want? The rapture? Maybe. Philippians chapter 1, there's an interesting verse. I want to share it with you. It's the Apostle Paul, and he says something that is almost confusing. It, it almost makes you like double take, like, Paul, really? Listen to what he says in chapter 1, verse 21 of Philippians. He says this, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I don't know. Watch his choice here. He's saying he has a choice in this matter. He says, for I'm in a strait between two, having a desire to depart, that is to die and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, that means to keep on living here on earth, is more needful for you. Now, you think, Paul, do you, you don't get a choice there, right? Like, the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, and after this, the judgment. You know, you don't, what do you mean you get a choice? Like, Paul's like, God's like, hey, Paul, you want to die now, or you want to die later? He's like, oh, let me think about this for a little bit. I'm not sure. And then he writes a letter to the Philippians, and he's like, listen, I got this choice and I'm kind of stuck. I don't know what I'm going to do. I could die and be with Christ, which is good. Or I could stay on earth and get beaten and go through trials and trouble and be imprisoned and hated by everybody for my message. And that would be more helpful for you. I don't know what I want to do. Watch what he chooses. He says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. And the Lord Paul says, look, if I have a choice between blasting out of here today and staying here another day for the sake of what it will do for you and for future generations, he says, I know what's better for me, but I choose what's better for you. And I wonder, I just wonder if maybe right now the church has a choice. 
Yeah, I understand the times and the seasons are appointed by God. I understand the sovereignty of God that no man knows the day or the hour. The Father knows the day and the hour. The rapture is going to happen when the rapture is going to happen. But what if, what if the church, what if we have a voice in heaven to say, God, we hunger for your presence. We hunger for an eternal home wherein dwells righteousness. We hunger to be in that place. But God, if you're willing to pour out your spirit again and to use us to reach another generation, if you're willing by your supernatural power to confound the powers that be and to raise up the authority of the church again for the sake of reaching another generation, then Father, though it might be uncomfortable for us, it's more needful for them. So Lord, do it. Psalm chapter two, it says, why did the heathen rage? The nations, that's what the heathen means. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? For they have gathered, the kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands, the controls of God, the laws of God, let's break it off. Let's break off the family unit. The nuclear family is archaic. Break it off. Let us break off freedom. Let's break off freedom of speech and freedom of, break it off, break it. Listen to what God says. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord will have them in derision. Derision means confusion. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And the psalmist says, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. Now listen to what God says, okay? Because you wonder, how should we be praying right now? Here's the answer. God says, ask of me and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. And you shall break them with a rod of iron and shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, that means draw near to Jesus, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Listen to what God is saying to you and I right now concerning how we are to pray is that yes, wickedness is coming in like a flood. Yes, the snare is being set by Satan himself and by the plight and plans of evil men. But God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he has given to us, church, the authority to loose and to bind the powers that be in this world. And his counsel to us in the midst of their planning and plotting is that we would ask of him to give us the nations. God, revive us again. And he says that he will give us the ability to break their plans through prayer with an iron, the rod of iron, like a potter's vessel. He will give to us more time. Listen, I believe that the church right now is guilty and that we need to repent of laying down our authority. We have become like that elephant. You know, the elephant that is you know, he's got the thing tied around his ankle. And when he was a baby, they actually staked the rope to the ground. And when he tried to get away, he couldn't get away. But when he gets old, they just tie a thing around his ankle. And he thinks, oh, God, no, I can't move. This thing's not tied down. And I think we as the church that we have become like that, we have just become servants to what they are doing. They are doing. This is, no, 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 no. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And he has given us the authority in prayer to bind and loose the powers that be. And I believe that if we as the church would pray in this time, not come quickly, Lord, and get us the heck out of here, which is not a bad thing. But if we would pray as the church and say, God, light a fire in us again. Make us the salt and the light that you have called us to be. Raise up a standard in a generation that is evil. Make us light bearers to our sons and our daughters to give them the truth and do a work in their generation that they can reach their generation and their children. And God, save even as you have decreed that you would save. God, yes, I want you to come, but delay your coming for the sake of those that have not yet heard and those that have yet need of you. God, we trust in you. We hope in you. Do it again. Light a fire in us again. Pour out your spirit upon us again.
And I believe that God will answer that prayer. Give us more, Lord. Not more time to be idolatrous, not more time to spend more money, but God, give us more of you and help us to be the church that is the church. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go ye therefore. He gives us the authority. Do we use it? I fear so often that we don't. Church, listen to me. You and I are the wave cutters right now. You and I are the wave cutters that will cut through the roaring waves that Jesus said would come upon the world like a snare. But where are our hearts really at? Paul said, Lord, I would go to hell if it meant the salvation of my brothers. That's rad. Moses said, Lord, if you're not going to save these people, then blot my name out of your book as well. That's rad. Paul said, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I ask you this, are you willing to pray? God, will you make me the wave cutter that you called me to be? Would you use me in a mighty way? Would you use my prayer to pull down strongholds in your name? That's what he's called us to. Father, we thank you tonight for these amazing truths. Lord, they're so heavy and they're so radical and they're so powerful and they're so unbelievable sometimes. But you're a powerful, radical, and unbelievable God. And you've given to us an amazingly powerful and radical authority. And you've given us the power of your truth in the presence of your son, in the person of your spirit. And we want to commit ourselves to you tonight, Lord, that you would shake us awake to realize what's at stake in the times that we're living in and that you would use us to make a difference in our generation and in our world. That you would empower us men to be men, men of God. That you empower us women to be women, to carry the ornament of the beauty of Christ and to make it represent what it is. God, that you would shake us from the things that have caused us to sleep. And Lord, that you'd forgive us for being apathetic concerning the authority that you've granted to us. We pray for a baptism of your spirit. If you want to be baptized in the spirit, I invite you to stand even right now, to stand and say, God, fill me again. God, forgive me again. God, use me again. God, let your spirit and your power come upon me. Give me fresh eyes to see. Give me a renewed sensitivity to hear your voice. Soften my heart again, God. Soften me, Lord, to love the things of you and to hate the things of the world. To be all in for you. To live completely for you. God, help us. Hear our prayer, O oh Lord. Stir us up as a church. Use us in this nation, in this state, in this country, in this county. Build us again for the glory of your name. You might be here tonight and you don't even know Jesus Christ personally. And I want you to just think about this. You've resisted. Most people that resist Christ don't resist Christ because they don't believe in him. They resist him because they, they fear the change. They resist the change that inviting him into their heart is going to mean. Just think about this for one minute. If you are willing to allow changes in your lifestyle, to embrace changes in your lifestyle because of a 0.01% chance that you might get sick and die, then why wouldn't you embrace the changes that Jesus will make in your heart if he moves in to make you completely free to make you a new creation, to teach you to love and what love means to complete what he created in you in the very beginning when he made you because he loves you. Why wouldn't you embrace that change when you know what's coming, there's going to be a day that 25% of the world's population really will die. It doesn't make sense to resist Jesus Christ. And the door is still open. He still stands at the door and he still knocks and he says, if any man will open unto me, I will come into him. Because of his cross, because of his grace, he paid the price for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Jesus gave the promise in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he said this, but you that live and believe in me, you will never die. It's a promise of eternal life. And it's open, but it's not open forever. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you right now to just say this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. I ask that you would come inside, that you would forgive me of my sins, that you would save me, and that you'd change me from the inside out, that you'd forgive me for the things that I've done, forgive me for resisting you, and help me to know you in the way that you made me to know you. Cleanse me by your blood. I decide today to follow you. I want to be saved, and I want to know you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for dying for me. I receive you now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer in your heart, you've never opened your heart to Jesus, would you just be brave enough to raise your hand? Let me know that you just prayed to receive Christ. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else, man, over here, ready to receive Jesus? See another hand in the back. God bless you. For those of you that may be watching right now, that you raise your hand. Those of you here that did, I want you to know that Jesus hears that prayer. That when you ask, the Bible says that if you confess your sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that he will come into you. He will meet you where you are. He loves you with an eternal love. We're going to close with a song. Let's all stand to our feet now. Let's give God praise for his mercy in our lives. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.